Let's open our Bibles, Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10. And we're marching our way through Matthew. It's been exciting. It's a great book, and we've been looking for a little while at the call of the disciples and how God places a call in our lives. I... I uh, I've been getting Time Magazine for a little while, and uh, I usually wait until they like offer it to me almost for free before I'll take it. And then they, you know, after a while, then that runs out, and they say, oh, we're going to give you a great deal. Now you can pay a bunch of money for it. And I say, no. And then a little bit later, they'll send me that back again. Well, we still want you to get it for almost free. But in, uh, in the very latest um, uh, issue, March 22nd, which is tomorrow, um, they had the top 10 ideas for the next decade right? The top 10 ideas for the next decade. And this is number eight. I love this. TV will save the world. <laughs> TV will save the world. It says in a lot of places, it's the next big thing. Television, I'm just going to read a few little parts of this. Television is still the most influential medium around. The TV revolution is changing lives for the better. Later on, they do admit too much TV has been associated with violence, obesity, and social isolation. But TV is having a positive impact on the lives of billions worldwide. TV will save the world. So uh, what I thought I'd do, I just piped in uh, some TV. So I'm just going to sit down. We're just going to watch TV today. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? It's incredible. But this is kind of, you know, we've been on missions trips in, in places where they don't even have electricity, but they have a TV set inside their little shack or whatever, run on a little battery or whatever. And in some places where, you know, the poverty level is so low, they might still have cable TV and nothing else. No running water inside their house, but they've got cable TV. Now, that's incredible when you think about it. There's, there is a huge influence, but I wouldn't exactly call it the Savior of the world. We know who the Savior is. Looking back to Matthew chapter 12, <clears throat> where we left off these 12 that Jesus sent out, what a group they were. We saw what God can do with a life that's spent with him. They were sent out by two, we read in another place, sent out by twos. Simon Peter, and that's they're kind of grouped like this way uh, by two. Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, one of them we knew really well, the other not so well, two fishermen. James and John, the sons of thunder. Philip and Bartholomew, not much is known about them. Thomas and Matthew, the doubting Thomas and the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus, no, we don't know, you know very little about him, or Thaddeus, James and Thaddeus. When you think of the 12 apostles, how many of you think first? Thaddeus. Like, and somebody said, Thaddeus is one of the 12 apostles, and you go, no way. That's your, I know who the 12 apostles are. Well, Thaddeus. No. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. One of them sold out to following after God, and the other one sold out to Satan. Now, each of them had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Eleven of them went really well. One did not go so well. But if Jesus could use those eleven, I believe he can use you and me. I really believe that. 
Number one, we saw he called them to himself. Number two, they, they were called to be sent out. They had this call placed upon their lives. And I, I said a couple of weeks ago, I was going to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the call of God in my life. And I really almost don't want to. Um, I woke up very early this morning. I'm a little spaced out. And uh, my wife says it's because I ate a vitamin before I went to bed. Now, I, they put a lot of weird stuff in vitamins nowadays. So it could be. But uh, my thoughts are a little <clears throat> mixed up. <clears throat> But I guess that's nothing new um, for, for you folks to appreciate that. I became a believer in September of 1976, and uh, I was lost. I knew I was lost. I was searching for truth. We'll talk a little bit later about these guys and the instructions Jesus gave to them as they went out. But I was lost, and I knew that, that uh, when I came to know Jesus, my life was completely turned around, completely turned upside down right side up. And, and you know what? Uh, he, has, he has watched over me and, you know, done so much in my life, done so much, you know, with people around me and in so many incredible ways. But so, so right, it wasn't really long into my walk with Jesus that I just began to sense that God wanted to do something with me. Now, I believe he wants to do something with every one of us, but it's a very individual it's a very personal journey that each one of us is on. I remember our Bible school director saying, you know, it's a, a guidance is intensely personal. And for each one of us, it's a, a journey that we need to be praying about and seeking after him. And I'm just sharing with you what my journey, a little bit about what my journey has been like. So, so, I, so I just knew, I just believed, I just felt that, that God wanted to do something with my life. And, and, and it was like, okay, whatever it is, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And I kind of surrendered. I was young. Uh, I didn't really know much. But I was just willing to step out and try. And so I, I began to do different things and, and, and do different things with music and, and that. But I, I also felt that I, I wanted to go and study the Bible, so I went to Bible school, right? And, and it was a very short Bible school at the time. Calvary Chapel Bible College was only like 11 weeks. It had just started. And, uh, but, you know, I went there, and I met a girl there, surprise, and who is now my wife, and, and we, we uh, got to know each other, and, you know, later we got married, and, and uh, you know, this, again, you, when you look back, you can see how God begins to put things together, and he put that together. He put us together, I believe, with all my heart. And, and so we, we went back to San Diego. We were up in Lake Arrowhead, and we went back to San Diego, and, and uh, you know, I was working uh, in a job, and I really was kind of not very smart, um, I haven't really gained that much intelligence since then, but uh, I, I, we just got married, right? And, and I had a job. My wife was working part-time, and, I, and I, I quit the job. Like, there was something I didn't like, and so I quit the job. And now I'm, like, without a job and, a, and married, and, like, what are you doing? Well, God uses all things to work together for good, and I, I went to a, uh, I finally had to almost be pushed to go apply for a job at a factory that, uh, as, a, as a shipping clerk. And there's nothing wrong being a shipping clerk, but uh, it was like you stood there in front of a table for eight hours a day, and if you're lucky, you got a rubber mat to stand on, and you filled boxes eight hours a day. 
man, my other job was much better than that. So anyways, I'm there doing this, and, and, and for six months, I'm trying everything I can to get out of that job. And, but during that time, the Lord is still kind of working in me, and I'm trying. I'm striving in the flesh to get the job with the telephone company, to get the job over here. And, and God is, you know, none of these doors are opening up, but I'm striving. I'm trying to make it happen. But God is saying, listen, I, I, I've got some plans for you. It, it was about six months into that job that, that uh, uh, an opportunity opened up in the, the research and development section of the same company. So I went in there, and they trained me how to be an R&D technician, which, you know, I kind of had some aptitude with math and science, so it, it helped, but I didn't, I'd never learned any of that stuff. So they trained me to do that. And so I'm in there, and I'm going, you know, this is really good. I can go back to school now. And I could become a chemical engineer and, and do the same things these guys are doing. And I thought, you know, that's what I'm, I'm going to do. You know, we can come up with all sorts of ideas of what we want to do and what, what we think we should do. But the, it was like, I can still remember it. It was like I had these plans and I was coming up with these plans. And, and the Lord said to me, or he didn't say to me, but it was like they were, these plans were just like smoke. And they, and they just, like, vanished away. There was nothing there. There was no substance to them. Now, I'm, I, I'm not, I have nothing against engineers because, like, half the church here, you guys are engineers. So, you know, I love engineers. Uh, except, you know, you guys kind of think differently. And I sort of relate to that because I could have been an engineer if I had been called to go in that direction. I better stop talking about engineers. I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. But... I just knew that, that God had a call and a purpose for our lives, and, and so we, we said, well, okay, what should we do then? So we went back to Bible school, but now, you know, we have, we're married, we have responsibility or whatever, so we, we went, we signed up to go to Bible school in San Diego at, at uh, Calvary Chapel San Diego, which is now Horizon Christian Fellowship, where Mike McIntosh is, and we... We went there, and, and both of us went to school there. It was a longer program. And the company where I was working, you know, it was a Japanese company. It is a Japanese company. And they said, you know, I asked around. They said, no one ever is allowed to work part-time here. Never. Never happens. But I went to them and said, could I work part-time? And they said, okay, we like you. You work part-time. <laughs> These kinds of things don't happen. So, so... I went, we went to Bible school there, and it, we didn't get into it very long, and then we found out that Paula was pregnant. And so we said, okay, that's it. Got to go back to full-time, got to give this up. And, and we went to the director of the Bible school, and he said, you know what? We said, we're going to quit. We got to quit. We got, you know, we got we to gotta baby come. We got to get money. We got to do stuff, you know. We didn't know anything. And he says, no, I don't think so. You know, you, you need to stay. You need to stick this out. You need to persevere. And that's what we did. It was through that that there was a practical time. And looking back, and even now I'm thinking about this recently and how, how the Lord works different things out. There was a, what he called a practicum, a, a practical period of time during this a Bible school program where you'd go to a different country and you'd go there for a month. And so we through different circumstances, we chose to go to England. And, and we went to England um, for a month, and, and Paula was like huge pregnant. Can I say that? <laughs> and, and it was like, you know, we're, we're, 
we're over there, and she kind of has to kind of go a little slow, but we're going out and doing all kinds of incredible things in schools and, and uh, just sharing our testimony and music and the word in, in schools. That, you know, the door was just wide open. So we, we did that for a month, and then we came back and finished the school. Uh, had had uh, Anthony, and, uh, but, but we felt like, you know what, we had such a good time in England. Why don't we go back to England after we get out of school? So we thought, okay. And my wife could fill in some of the details about this because it was very difficult in a lot of ways. But, but I, I just felt like, okay, let's go back. Sure, why not? Again, I was kind of young and, and naive about a lot of things, but, but, you know, I'm just trying to be available to what God would have us to do. That's all I was trying to do. So, so we signed up and we, we, uh, we went back working with Youth for Christ uh, and uh, local churches there. We went back for a year and, and Anthony was just uh, uh, weeks old when we went back over there. And, uh, but, but we had, a, we had a, just an incredible time, and we're just getting experiences, doing different things. And I think, I think for me, what, what is important is that you try different things. You get involved in different areas. You try things, and you find out, whoa, that's not what I'm supposed to do. But over, you know, over the years, I've done all different things. I've worked in the nursery. You know, I've played music in different locations, different things. I've, I've worked with kids. I've been to the nursing home. We kind of cut our teeth uh, in, in a, a retirement home. So, so, but we went to England and we, we came back and, and uh, we, we didn't really want to come back, but, but we felt like we should come back. We didn't know why. We were back for about a year and a half. And, and uh, after about a year, uh, we understood why, because one of my brothers, my oldest brother was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, within uh, six months, he had died. That was actually about six months after we got back. And so six months of walking through this, this thing with him, and he accepted the Lord, and it was just a very difficult time. But after that, we, we felt like, you know, uh, once we'd been through that period, after about another six months, we, we wanted to go back to England. And so, am I boring you? Okay. I only heard a few of the answer, but I'll take it to those means. So we went back to England working with another church there, and, and uh, then we ended up working with a ministry that worked with drug addicts, alcoholics, prostitutes, and, and street people. And, and so, we again, we're working with all different kinds of people. We're seeing what ministry is like, and, and you know, we... I don't feel like we really had a lot to offer. We didn't really do much, but we experienced a lot, and we got to see a lot. And, and we, you know, it was, it was on the last year when we were working with this, this uh, one ministry where, you know, they, for us, you know, being raised Calvary Chapel is always like, you got to have the Word, man. you got to teach the Word. And so for us, that, we're always saying, we got to have a Bible study. we got to teach the Word. And, and, and so they said, well, listen, you've you got to teach the Word to some of these people that, you know, that are need to be discipled. And so we began doing that. And, and it was kind of like in that period of time, it was my, my heart was, you know, up to this point, I'm just, God, wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to do, we'll do it. And it was in that time, though, I began to say, you know, I, I, I feel like maybe God is putting that on my heart to teach the Bible, to, to go and, and, and seek about being a pastor. And, and again, up to this point, I really didn't, you know, this is over a period of years now, just began to make a little more sense to me. And, and so we did that there for a while, and then we came back to California. 
And we did a, um, an internship. I went and signed up for an internship. I, I kind of put it together myself. And I, you know, whether it was the right thing or the wrong thing, I don't know. But we went up to Central California in a place called Visalia and, and signed up to, to do an internship with the pastor there and, and everything. But it was like two and a half years in the wilderness. Makes me think of Moses out on the backside of the desert. Like, what is, what, you know, what does this have to do with anything? Because I wasn't, I was doing some music, but I really wasn't doing anything else. And I'm going, and, and I, I had to work, uh, you know, full time. I was selling furniture. Uh, I was working uh, in a roller skating rink. I was uh, working in a rent-to-own company. I think I had four jobs. We lived in four houses. I think I had four jobs during this time. It was like crazy this time. And uh, at the end, uh, you know, I was with the pastor, and, and he said, you know what? I, I don't think you're called to be a pastor. And I go, oh. And, and I was just like devastated. Like, and I go, well, I don't think I'm called to be here anymore. <laughs> and so, you know, because I knew. Now, he was looking at the outside, right? And, and, and I just knew in my heart that this was what God was calling me to do through all these different experiences and through all this different time. And, and I just knew. And I, but I didn't, I didn't think like, you know, I'm so gifted to be this or that. But I, I just felt inside me I had a call to go this direction. And so... And so uh, I said, well, thank you very much, but, you know, we got to go, because if, if you can't help me, then I got to go. And I wasn't being rebellious or stubborn or anything like that. I was, just, I was just being persistent and persevering with what I felt God called me to do and what God called me to be. So we went back to Lake Arrowhead, where Paula's parents live, and we're there, and I started a little business of uh, a handyman business, fixing rental properties. It's on the, you know, it's a resort area. And uh, was doing very well, and and uh, but yet there be, there came an opening at the Bible College. This is the very Bible College that we met at, and there came an opening for a teacher there, and and I I thought you know there's no way they're gonna you know but but I was just encouraged some way somehow to go and apply. So I put in an application, and I was completely shocked when he called me and says yeah yeah okay we want to hire you, and I and I go unbelievable. Well, I think they just wanted a worship leader, to be honest with you. <laughs> but it gave me this opportunity to, to study and to, and I did lead a lot of worship there and, and worked with, with the young people a lot. But it gave me this opportunity to, to teach the word and to, you know, have lessons every day and, and study and, and prepare. And it, it was just really good. But I told him from the very beginning, the director of the school, I told him, I said, you know what, um, I don't know how long I'm going to stay here because I feel like God is calling me to, to pastor a church and, and, uh, and to go out somewhere. And maybe not in California because there's a lot of churches here. There's a lot of Calvary chapels here, but I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. And he said, no problem. Okay, no problem. So we're, we're sitting there and we're going through this. And he had a class. He was an incredible teacher, this guy. He had a class about pastoral ministry, and I sat in on that, you know, in addition to what I was doing, I sat on, on his class. Uh, fortunately, uh, they, I didn't get graded on um, his assignments, but I still remember one of the things he said to me, or he said to the class, it was like speaking to me, he said, you know what, going out and planting a church 
Starting a church somewhere is the hardest thing, and he had done it twice. He knew what he was talking about. He says, was the hardest thing that he had ever done in his entire life. And I sat there, I can still remember, I sat there and I go, you know, that's him. You know, it's, I'm sure it's going to be different for me, for us. You know, we're young, we're excited and all the rest of it. So, so at the end of this year, I, I came to him, we began to make contacts. And, and, and this is how spiritual the call gets sometimes. Um, we had such a good time in England. We loved England. England is an incredible, wonderful place. We lived there for three years. And, and uh, it was an incredible time, and so, but I never felt the confidence to go to England and start a church. There are guys that, and there really wasn't many Calvaries there at the time, maybe one, and there's been a lot of guys that have gone over there since then. But I didn't feel the confidence to do that, but I thought, well, we liked England a lot, and many of you heard me tell this before, why don't we just go to New England? It's similar, right? They're kind of the same, England, New England. And that's literally, I really didn't quite know where New England was, to be honest with you. <laughs> Though my father was born in New Hampshire, I didn't really kind of know where New England was. But we began to, like, make contacts, you know, get letters, because uh, people would write letters to Pastor Chuck and say, you know, we need a church here. And we began to make contacts with different people. And, and uh, you know, eventually at the end of this time, we had about five or six five or six contacts that were pretty solid. And so we said, well, let's just go. And looking back now, I just like, I think like, how could you ever do that? I mean, you are insane. I'm 54 now. And I'm thinking I was 20, I was, I don't know, 20 years ago. I was, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I, and I, I thought, let's just go. So we, we had this 1987 big station wagon like a tank and we put a u-haul trailer on the back and we just we just started driving to new england and we were just going to go to all of our contacts and and talk to the different people and see where it was that god was calling us to go i mean like i said looking back now it's like i would i don't know that i would do that today but sometimes you need to step out and sometimes you need to 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 you know, there's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song that talks about, you know, diving in. Sometimes you've got to dive in before you're going to make any progress and find out what it is God's called you to do. Just sitting in the chair isn't going to do it. We knew we could always go back home, right? I mean, you're not just, you know, we're not going to die out here in New England, right? You guys haven't died or anything. Um, we had a, a guy, uh, one of our students uh, lived in New York. He said, listen, you can put your stuff here. And, and you can uh, come back and forth or whatever. Anyways, to make a long story short, we ended up, we visited all the different places. We ended up through all kinds of different circumstances, and I'll tell you some of those stories another time, and we ended up in Rhode Island, in Warwick. We began to plant a church. We began to start a Bible study. We put a little tag on the end of Chuck Smith's program, which was on WARV at the time. And uh, you know what? During that period of time, I go, I realized this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> and I called up. At one point in time, I was so discouraged. I was so messed up. I called back to that director and I said, Do, Can I come back? 
can, you, can I have my old job back? I'd like to come back. It was like, that was like, you know, you're at this Bible college campus and it's like a cocoon. You're like in this little thing. And uh, he said, no. <laughs> I said, oh, thanks. And thanks for, and I said to him, you know what? I did say to him, I said, you're right. You are so right. Hardest thing I've ever done. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. But God has been faithful. Let me, let me say that again, that God has been faithful. I don't, I, honestly, I don't think that, you know, I have anything that's spectacular. I'm not charismatic. I'm not, you know, good looking. Some of you maybe would disagree with that. I don't have all the equipment maybe that some, you know, would have, but, but I believe God has called me here. And, and that's all I can do is just be faithful. And, I, and through the years, I, I know that I just have to show up and be where God wants me to be. And God is faithful to do what He's promised to do. There's, I read a couple of scriptures recently where it says God is he's faithful to fulfill His word. He's faithful to fulfill His word. So, here we are, still learning, still learning. God is still calling. God is still showing me and, and opening up different things that he wants me to step into and learn and grow in. Uh, I have, you know, I think it'll be till Jesus comes, you know, before I'll get the whole picture. So, let's get back to Matthew chapter 10. Hope I didn't bore you with that. Some of you haven't heard the story. Jesus gives instructions here for the team that he's sending out, that he has a call on their lives. And some of the things we're going to read here apply to them then, and, but so many of them are, are principles and things that we can learn from now as God uses us, as God sends us, as God uses us even in our neighborhoods, even with our families and even with our friends. Look at chapter 5. We'll pick it up where we left off. It says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. He says, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. For them at that time, the big question here, the first question is, they're to be sent out. The question is to who? Who would they go to? For them at that time, it was to start with the people of Israel. That was to be their focus. Now, of course, we know the the Great Commission at the end of Matthew says to go into all the world. But these apostles, these disciples, they were sent, first of all, to the people of Israel. That was to be their focus. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that either. And, and even now, God is calling people to certain nations. People, you know, I've been to missions conferences. I've been to, you know, I've, I've talked with many missionaries where they have a call to a certain nation, a certain people, a certain a tribe, a certain language. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so what we see here is that's what it was a, a focus there. It's not a bad principle. And, and I think part of it is too is that they were to start where they were, start with their own people. If we can't reach our own people, how are we going to go out and reach somebody way over there? If we can't minister and open, you know, be used here, how can we go out there? I've heard that said before, and I, and I didn't quite understand it, but I, I do understand it now. We need to be, uh, be active here. Some of us don't do anything. We think, well, because I'm called over there, and, and then we don't ever get involved here. Well, you need to get involved here to prepare you to go over there is what I think. 
John Corson said that Jesus is saying this, start in your home country, start where you're at. Cross the street before you cross the ocean. See that in Acts 1.8, he says, you know, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts, kind of an uh, ever-widening circle, but, but starting in Jerusalem, where we are, home. Notice the second thing about who he's talking about here, the, the lost sheep of Israel. And we, we've talked about that a lot where, where God is calling us to go for the lost and to go after people that are lost. And, and like I said about myself, I, I knew I was lost. I was wandering. I was so lost. And people without Jesus are lost without the Savior, without hope, without God in the world. In Luke chapter 10, it says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Seek and to save what was lost. God, I think we need to be praying for God to open our eyes. We talked about this in last in chapter 9 where he said that, you know, the, that the, the world around them, he had compassion on the crowds. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That, that God would open our eyes to the lost people around us. We just don't think about it. We just we get so caught up in, in who we are and what we need to do. We, we're, we're kind of without a clue. The fact that people are lost all around us. Number one, who do we go to? The lost. The second thing found in verse 7, he says, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. As you go, preach this message. There was a message, there was a word, there was the scripture that you and I have to share is that, that there is a king. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's right near you. It's right in front of you. It's right here. The word of God is near you that, that if you call out to the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That you don't have to stay lost. That there is a savior. His name is Jesus. But we need to bow the knee before him now. The kingdom of heaven is near. Where, where He rules, where He reigns in our hearts and lives. You see, one of the problems with us as human beings is that we do not want to let anyone rule over us. We want to be in charge. But no eternal life will come until we bow the knee before Him. That was the message. John the Baptist said the same thing. Jesus said the same thing. And now He's telling His disciples, you, know, you go out and you tell them that the kingdom of God is near. It's right here for you. It's found in His Son, Jesus. The next thing we see in verse 8, He says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. What do we see? What is, what is happening here? He sees that He sends these people out and they, they're going to lost people and they're going and they, they're bringing a message, but they're, but they're also helping them in their very lives and who they are. They're helping in the, in the very needs that they have needs for healing, needs to, to, to come back from death, needs to be cleansed, needs to be delivered. And, and you know what? When you look around the world, we, we see all these things around us, that God can use you and me to bring hope to people's lives and help. What does he say in the last part of the verse 8 there? He says, freely you have received, freely give. How do we go and, and what do we bring and and how do, we, how do we bring this message, this message that, that he's given to us? Well, it's a, a message that we give freely. We, it's not about getting money. He says, freely you have received, freely give. We didn't earn anything. And really, it gets back to the message of grace, that it's a message of grace, that it's a free gift. 
I hope that you have received the free gift and, and, and some of you perhaps are still in that place where you know that you're missing out on what life is really all about. You, you sense there's some kind of a lost thing, but, but, but Jesus came to give you his life and it's a free gift and all that you need to do is say yes and bow the knee before him. He says it's been given freely to us and we can give it to others. Look at verse 9. He says, do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the wor a worker is worth his keep. He says in this journey that you go, you can't like have all this stuff. Now for that particular journey, they weren't to take all these extra things. They weren't to take all this money. But really for them, one of the things was that they needed to trust. They needed to trust God to go forward. If you're going to go forward with God, there is certainly this aspect that you need to trust Him. You can't have everything you need before you get there. How many times do we do that? Well, unless I have this and this and this, I'm not going to do that. He says, no, you do. And you, do, you, you let me provide for you. You let me take care of you. You need to travel light. Sometimes the stuff in this life holds us back. I am amazed uh, how little stuff it was. We got it down to a little, the smallest U-Haul trailer that we could. Today, oh, I don't even know. It's like a couple of those big, long 18-wheelers or something. Like, stuff. I think about you know, rock stars and, 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 I, and you know, you hear the stories sometimes about evangelists that go out and, they, and they, they're, like, they, they're like rock stars and they give the list of what kinds of things they need to have in their dressing room. You know, well, I need this kind of water, this kind of fruit, this kind of, you know, appetizers and all this stuff. And you're like, what is that all about? Is that being a witness for Jesus? I, I, I know a lot of people that, that have been put off by that kind of greed of people who say they're called by God and yet it's all about the stuff. Look at verse 11. It says, whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And as you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. I think one of the things that, that, that we see here is that they're, they're, they're looking for open hearts. They're looking for open hearts. Not everyone will receive the message, but to, to look and see. Look for the people's hearts who are open. I think when we're looking, we'll see. If we're, if we're asking God, show us the hearts that are open. Those people may be where you work. The family members, the neighbors, and, and you know, they're not all wanting to hear the truth, but some are. And, and, there's, and he's saying here, you know, when you go there, give the blessing, see what happens. Look for the hearts that might be willing to hear. We saw earlier, he says, not throwing our pearls before the swine. Look at verse 14. He says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet. When you leave that home or town, I tell you the truth. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. That's some pretty serious 
words that Jesus has given there, but what is he saying? He's saying that their responsibility is on them. Our responsibility is to go and to share the love of Jesus and the kingdom of God with them and, and looking for those open hearts and, and sharing truth. But we cannot make their decisions for them. They have got to make their own decisions. And the responsibility for that decision is then on them, you see. Paul, when he was preaching, it says he went to this place and it says the Jews that opposed him, they became abusive. And so it says that he shook out his clothes in protest and he said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. He said to them, you know, you're responsible for your own decision and there will come a day. Jesus talked about the day of judgment in this passage. You know, you, you hear, it and it's kind of scary, you hear so much nowadays about this um, uh, universalistic kind of philosophy where everyone will be saved. But Jesus didn't ever said that. He talked about a day of judgment. He talked about responsibility being on, on, on their own heads. Look at verse 16. Am I moving fast or what? There's a lot of verses here for me. Verse 16, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Don't go out with your eyes closed. Realize, be aware. If you can picture a sheep in a pack of wolves... It's not a very pretty picture, is it? It's not something that you, you would necessarily go about but, and want to get yourself into. But he says, this is what it's going to be like. Don't go you know, out with rose-colored uh, glasses. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. But don't become like a wolf. Don't let that you know, affect you so terribly that you become just like them. Be aware of it. Be wise. But also be gentle. And be innocent. And don't get sucked up in it all around you, he's saying. Look at verse 17. He says, be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils, flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Be aware. One of the things we need to be aware of is this opposition. This is real. This is real. You know, it used to be we didn't kind of face much opposition in our country, but I think the opposition has been ramping up against true believers, against Christians. Well, you don't accept this, and you don't accept all these, you know, crazy and wild things that are anti-biblical. Opposition is real. We see opposition in these verses, number one, from religion. We see it from government. And later on in verse 21, we see it also from family. It's not going to be an easy thing. If I could sit here and tell you to follow after God's call in your life, is, is you know what? It is so wonderful and it is so easy. I would be lying to you. I've already said that to you, that it's to do what... You know, what, what God called us to do is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Could I do it again? I don't know if I, if I would have the strength to do it again. 
It's not easy. It's not always easy. But, but I think we have been coddled in life to think, to think we want to we want, we do it if it'll be easy. We want to do it if, if it's not going to cost me too much, if I still get to do everything I want to do. But that is really not what Jesus was talking about. He says, you know, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's not going to be easy. But the first part of what I, what I did say is true, is that it is wonderful when you follow what God's called you to do in your life. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. You will not have regrets. If there's anything I regret, it's not following him in this area or that area or whatever. Or maybe that I watch too much TV. You know what I mean? Look at verse 19. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. We, we already talked about when God calls, He also equips. And this is also just another uh, proof of that, that, that he, if He sends us out to do anything, what can we do anyways? Without God working through us, without God speaking through us, what can you and I do anyways? But when He sent them out, He says, don't worry, don't freak out, don't you know, think it's all up to you. Step out, but don't freak out. Because he says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to speak through you. It's my word that does anything anyways. It's not your word that changes anybody's lives. In Acts 1.8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. How? Through the Holy Spirit, through God speaking through us. When Moses, you, you, you study the life of Moses, and it, it's an incredible story, really. You go back to Exodus and read about him, though. He, you know, he says to the Lord, he's having this conversation with the Lord, this discussion. And it goes on over a couple of chapters, really. But, but in chapter 4, Moses says to the Lord, Oh, Lord, he says, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He says, Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Well, that should have done it, right, for Moses? That should have been enough, right? Moses goes on, he says, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. How many times have you and I said that? God, somebody else should do that. It's the only time in this conversation where it says the Lord actually got angry with Moses. He got angry with he did accommodate him. He allowed his brother Aaron to go along with him to kind of be his mouthpiece. But he wasn't happy with, with Moses' response. The Lord said, listen, I will use you. I will speak through you. I'll be with you. This passage, I think, is sometimes taken out of context for <clears throat> speakers and preachers and pastors and teachers to not spend any time studying God's Word. Well, I'll just let the Holy Spirit speak through me. I'll go out on my boat, you know, and uh, spend the day out there, and then the Holy Spirit will speak through me. 
No, there's no excuse for not studying the Word. God's called you to teach and preach. He's talking about in these situations, these crisis situations where you don't have time to go and, you know, well, let me just do a Bible study and I'll come back and be prepared for you. In these times when it's a crisis and, and you're all of a sudden, this opportunity is there in front of you and you go, wow, what's going on? I've seen it. I've seen it happen in other people's lives. I've seen it in my own life when you're in this situation and you, and you just... And you just start to remember verses out of the Bible that you didn't even know you remembered. And, 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 and they ask you a question, and you have an answer. You go, like, where did that come from? I didn't even remember that I knew those things from the Bible. Paul told Timothy to study that he could correctly handle the word of truth. Look at verse 21. We're coming to the end of the section we're going to look at today. He says, brother will betray a brother to death, and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. That's pretty scary stuff, is it not? But again, we're talking about witnessing and being a light even in a family, in our families, but they won't all receive. And some of them will, will actually become downright antagonistic against us. But does that mean we just give up and stop? Look at the last two verses there. It says, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What is he saying here? He's saying, you know what, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard, but, but don't give up persevere despite the negative response that you and I may face. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. We're not saved by perseverance, but persevere because we're saved. How long? Well, I think he tells us that there in the end of verse 23. How long? Until Jesus returns. How long do we keep working? How long do we keep you know, following after the call of Jesus until Jesus returns for you and for me. Till then, no time to waste, no time to give up, no time to quit. Keep working till he comes for us again. So who do we go to? We go to the lost. We start where we are. What's the message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. We help people freely. With the grace of God, we trust Him. We look for open hearts. We depend on the Holy Spirit. And we persevere. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before You now and we humble ourselves, Lord. We always need to humble ourselves because you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble, and, and we need grace, Lord. If we're going to be used by you in this world, we need your grace. We cannot do it apart from your free gift to us of your grace. I pray, Lord, that, that uh, you'd begin to stir up in, in our hearts those calls that you have placed upon each one of us. We've been talking about it for weeks, Lord, but your word uh, has so much to say to each of our hearts. Lord, may our hearts be open to you. 
that we might be able to share with, with, with open hearts that are around us in this world. Lord, some you are calling to go to far-reaching corners of this planet. Some you're calling to stay right here and support those who go. But you're, all, you're calling all of us to, to share a light, to be a light in this world that's so dark and that people are so lost. Give us eyes to see the lost around us, Lord, and hearts to care. We come before you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.